0: Digital Drift number 52, recorded Thursday 27th of February 2014. The Twilight Saga, Volume 1. Twilight, New Moon and Eclipse. Sanitary products. Pardon me? All woman, extensive range of waste disposal and sanitary products and services available at times to suit your businesses. We are flexible in the provision of our services. That's what's showing in the Skype. Chat window instead of your face
1: Good god
0: Advertisement
1: Mmm Highly inappropriate one as well
0: Oh speaking of which when I smelled that um, Cinder toffee flavoured coffee I had an orgasm A mouth orgasm
1: (laughs) Shouldn't that be a nose orgasm
0: It was a nose and mouth Ear nose and throat orgasm (laughs) (laughs) Oh god Anyway You're impossibly fast,
1: and strong. You gotta give me some answers. I'd rather hear your theories. I have considered radioactive spiders and kryptonite.
0: It's all superhero stuff, right? What if I'm not the hero? What if I'm the bad guy? You know what you are. Your skin is pale white and ice cool. You don't go out into the sunlight. Say it out loud. Say it. Vampire. Are you afraid? No.
1: This isn't real. This kind of stuff just doesn't exist.
0: It doesn't my world? Oh, I just want to try one thing. I don't know how long I've waited for
1: you. What is going on?
0: Security guard at the mill got killed by some kind of animal. Ah. An animal. Uh, my family—we're different from others of our kind. You brought a snack.
1: What, now he's coming after me?
0: The hunt is his obsession. He's never gonna stop.
1: I'd rather die than to stay away from you. He's got unparalleled senses. Absolutely lethal. I'll do whatever it
0: takes to make you safe again. <laughs> you're faster than the others. <laughs> but not stronger. I'm strong enough to kill you. You are my life now. After Sharon's disastrous run-in with the Fifty Shades of Grey book trilogy, we decided to go back to the source material and see the Twilight films. Assessed for what they were, what they are, in a vacuum, free of influence from their many fans and detractors. What we got was kind of a mixed bag. So this is going to create something of a podcast for nobody.
1: If you hate Twilight, you won't want to listen to why it's quite good. If you love Twilight, you won't want to listen to how it's quite bad. So really, you're best off opening your mind before we go in. Just not too far, your brain will fall out.
0: Before we attempted this, Sharon had read all four books and we had both seen the first three films over three years on DVD. Watching all five, one per night, made the whole thing very episodic, much more like a TV series than movies. We're going to go through each in turn with a synopsis and full spoilers, so if you want to see them fresh, then why have you taken this long? But do so before you come back and hear what we have to say.
1: And we are very aware of what Mark Kermode has said about these films not being for us. That's a given. However, what teenage girls are devouring is occasionally of interest to us when there are greater cultural ramifications. And of course, this is something that would have been intended exactly for me 15 years ago.
0: And would be intended exactly for Lyra in 10 years
1: indeed yes uh, these books and films like it or not have affected a percentage of a generation of young women and anybody who says that doesn't affect them in any way is fooling themselves
0: so we start with twilight i believe they're called the twilight saga like, From everything after the first one's called the twilight saga new moon the twilight saga eclipse pos- yeah. possibly so it shows up on google more um Maybe so. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, Twilight in the year 2008, directed by Catherine Hardwick. So let's start with a synopsis with spoilers. At high school in a new town named Forks, Bella meets Edward. She finds him immediately very attractive. He avoids her. Then he saves her life and she realises he's not human. He admits that he's a vampire and he wants to drink her blood a lot. Then he introduces his lovely family, the Cullens, who only drink the blood of wild animals. They play baseball. Three more vampires turn up. One of them, James, kidnaps Bella and bites her. Edward and family save her and kill James. Bella demands to become a vampire at some point soon. What we've got here is basically a bullet-pointed list. We've highlighted in red, the bad, and in green, the good. And Sharon's also added some stuff in purple just to... Add a little spice to things. Just to
1: mess with the system, really.
0: We started off thinking, let's do the bad first and get that out of the way, then do the good but it's a lot more intermingled than that, especially. Yeah, beta, it it so.
1: zigzags a lot. I mean, one thing that I would just say before we get into this with, with regards to that synopsis, um, Forks is not technically a new town for Bella. She did, she did kind of grow up there. Um, I thought
0: she visited every couple of uh, every year for a couple was, of weeks.
1: She was born there. Oh, she right. lived there until she was, I think about three months old. And okay. then her mother left with her uh-huh. and her dad still lives there. And that's why she's come back. So she does know Forks. She knows the people around from seeing them every summer but it's not sort of somewhere that she's massively familiar with
0: gotcha so she's she's been there many many times and, and everyone there's super friendly and actually well, straight off the bat when she goes to the high school everyone there is like high school musical levels yeah, friendly. it just
1: seems wrong doesn't it when, when she first turns up there's a handful of people who are like looking her up and down scathingly and it's like that's more like it that's what new schools are like when you arrive Mm. but then she bumps into the crew that she's basically going to be spending most of her time with and everybody immediately adores her
0: yeah um it's it's not quite so mary sue because the um that you, you, you get to be external to Bella. It's not just in her head, and she's not yeah. always like... I, I expected her to be biting her lip and brushing her hair away from her eyes the whole way through. I think she did, like, the lip-biting once, maybe twice.
1: Yeah. You see, this is another reason to hate E.L. James, because she's destroyed the Twilight fiction. Yeah, she,
0: she created caricatures of this. But anyway, um, so... so there is a function to the humans in this film being so friendly to Bella that that is what she has to leave behind if she's going to go become a vampire. Absolutely. Uh, it's it's not exactly realistic if you've ever actually been to high school. I think the closest thing to my high school was probably something like, uh, I don't know, the faculty.
1: I don't think my high school was quite that bad. But the, the one of the advantages with the faculty is although all the main characters are obviously very attractive people. That's kind of downplayed in the sense that, you know, Josh Hartnett wears completely scrubby clothes that look terrible on him. And, um, uh, Oh God, my mind's gone blank. What's her name? Claire Duval. Mm-hmm. Is it Claire Duval?
0: The goth. Slightly. Yes. Um,
1: covers herself in this incredibly thick makeup so that you can't actually see her face. Mm. Um, and the, the person who is supposed to be divinely gorgeous, namely Jordana Brewster. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's obvious that she works very hard at looking that way. That much is made clear. Here, everybody is effortlessly attractive. And,
0: yeah. As time went on for me, high school became a bit more like Dazed and Confused, especially in my uh, uh, community college years. There was a lot of shotgun going on back then. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's, it, it, high school wasn't exactly a pleasant place. So, I mean, But, but Forks is shown to be like a little bit sunnier than England. It's this miserable shit ass yeah. place.
1: It doesn't ever seem to be sunny. It's just it's like Well, yeah, so it's, it's like it's on I say, the periphery a little bit of...
0: sunnier than England.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's it's on the periphery of Seattle, isn't it? Or, or that's like It's the Pacific Northwest
0: Country, so it's like um
1: Forks is a real place, so you can yeah, look yeah. it up.
0: As um Catherine Hardwick was Uh, want to tell us repeatedly in the uh, commentary don't listen to the commentary with Catherine Hardwick Robert Pattinson and
1: um,
0: Kristen Stewart Stewart. here's the main reason why not Robert Pattinson throughout these movies keeps his mouth mostly shut and smoulders and he's sort of watchable if you're a Twilight fans, I completely understand why they melted at his smouldering however when Robert Pattinson talks he is a stupid fellow he has this kind of oh, 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 kind of uh mentality, and um he says dumb things, and throughout the entire commentary, he kept sort of making feeble jokes, and it, it almost seemed like Hardwick and Stuart were a little bit embarrassed, and it was like, you you're very pretty, now you don't talk too much. And unfortunately, I knew that going in. I knew that Robert Pattinson was a bit of a div. So the whole way through the entire series hangs on a barely realized character and i'm not sure when we decided this but at some point i think i just said you know who should really have played edward and the age isn't right but still ryan gosling i mean dude is if if nothing else the girls adore him and uh dude can smolder
1: yes he can drive
0: oh yeah uh, so, yeah, unfortunately, um, I never really grew to like Edward, and we'll go into a bit more about Edward later on. There isn't really all that much to say, and uh, I'm still a little bit um, bewildered that girls could love this character so much. But, yeah. Well,
1: I have things to say on that, but we'll come to that.
0: Another down point on this is, especially in this first one, because it's all so uh, uneasy and um, uh, uh, overly dramatized the teen romance that underpins nearly every scene in the first film is quite shallow because it's just sort of like meeting you getting to know you I am so super involved with you without even really knowing you it's kind of like um, like deep 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 attraction now for Edward it's not so much that he's attracted to her he he just he, he wants to drain her more than any other girl he's ever met which is creepy and I believe it's supposed to be
1: you would think, but I mean, it's it's not um, it's not a new setup. This is this is one of the things that kind of put me on the back foot with Twilight when I read the books in the first place. You know how I feel about traditional in inverted commas romances, um, and this sort of you see this dazzling prince charming. Um, you wait for him to hint at how taken with you he is, and then. Just be patient and love will follow. It's it's incredibly boring. It's incredibly naive. It irritates the hell out of me. And
0: hang on, are you saying Twilight is incredibly boring?
1: I'm saying this particular romantic setup. Yes, this this template, the
0: scenario. It it wasn't very engaging when When it it appears in
1: in every romance that it's ever appeared in, and there have been many. Mm. Um, And Inevitably, when I read stories like that, there is a point at which I realize that Prince Charming is, as per Shrek, a creepy dick. He sneaks into her room to watch her sleep. This is not a good thing. Gross. How can you be that stupid?
0: No. You're a dork. You're
1: psychotic. You want to do that interview? I don't want to talk. Wednesday? Tuesday? Tuesday? dude you slapped a fish you punched it why would you hit it i wanted to make some seafood that's so loserly
0: there's also a lot of heavy exposition as to the whole vampire thing in the middle there's uh jacob turns up he's her Occasional childhood friend. Um, he's uh, dowdy down in this first one, and he's got long hair and he's a little bit awkward. He's nowhere near as buff and gorgeous as he is in, in the later films. Um, and he goes into some sort of like you know the legend tells of this legendary vampires whose kung fu magic skills were the stuff of legend, legend. <laughs> and the feud between them and these uh, these wolves. And it's all just sort of a legend. He doesn't really go into the fact that it's um true. Well, he uh, doesn't
1: know at that point.
0: Of course. Uh, yeah, he, he's just uh, telling her what he's been told. Edward, however, when she finds out he's like, he's properly a vampire, then goes into this really long explanation series of things and, and sort of tries to push her away, but at the same time, she she's tenacious. And, uh, yeah, that, that feels a little bit clumsy, and it, it all sort of just potters around until you actually get to meet the Cullens.
1: The... The type of vampire that Edward particularly is portrayed as. The the rest of the Cullens, not so much. There's a little bit of variation, um, but again, we'll we'll talk about them in a minute. Um, but it's kind of it's a weird one for me because I, right? I have read a lot of vampire fiction, like a lot of vampire fiction, mm. and this particular style of vampire, it is. <laughs> He kind of does and doesn't have the things that vampires are supposed to have. You you do have that sort of sex as monster thing or monster as sex metaphor um, that that you have in uh, like Bram Stoker's Dracula and and stories that follow that kind of template. But
0: Sex as monster who wants to have monstrous sex with you but mustn't let himself
1: this is this is the thing that that sex is this big scary thing that that poor, innocent little victim girl can't possibly know about and and um, but desperately wants and therefore vampire is in a position to present her with that but it's all cloaked in teeth and capes so that we know that want it though she does, it is frightening and it is right that she is scared of it and wants to stay away from it and, and all the rest and you can imagine how Not enamoured of that particular storyline I am. It's also, it's
0: an abstinence parable, isn't it? It's actually, it's intentionally uh, written to to be a no, you must wait, no, you must wait.
1: It kind of is, but it sort of morphs into abstinence porn at some point. (laughs) Um, God, this
0: abstinence is hot.
1: (laughs) I will say this. I have been reading a lot of fanfic recently. And if it's meant to promote abstinence, it's not working. Because <laughs> um, what a lot of people have done is gone, I really like these characters, but what would be even better is if they shagged. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there you go. Um, but, yeah, the the other elements of, of this sort of uh, vampire being this scary adult world of, of sex and maturing and, and all that kind of thing, they're not really gone into. Um, and again, this is something that I I know for a fact we're going to touch on as we go through the later films, there are things that should go with this story and they don't. Example. They've been excised. Example. Uh, Well, for example, the immortality thing. Immortality is never really presented as being this great burden, which in every good immortal story, it is. You look at something like, okay, Highlander is, is the obvious yeah.
0: one. Immortality sounds fantastic to an outsider, but those who actually experience it, it's a little less peachy.
1: Absolutely. Um, and it, it's never really delved into in this as, as being sort of... I mean, you've got the element of Edward being basically bored and lonely because he hadn't met his soulmate yet well now he has fantastic so he had how many 107 years without her and he's now got eternity with her
0: mm-hmm. what you're gonna have to do a bit better than air blown through
1: <laughs> well i sorry I, I thought we were gonna go on to that when we get to the very end yeah so but that's, still that's I, the... you,
0: you can't argue like
1: <laughs> okay all right let me rephrase um it's something which is never really explored in terms of what the prospect of immortality is to Edward, who already has it, and to Bella, who is asking for it. It's, you know, the the things that he brings in as arguments why she shouldn't become a vampire are all extremely... Uh, unreal you know i mean the the argument that she won't be able to be with her family anymore well he's got a family she will have a new family that's you know yes all right there's she's got a a good relationship with her father which she potentially won't have anymore but then edward does a pretty good job of pretending to be human so chances are that at least for a while bella's going to be able to maintain those old relationships that supposedly becoming a vampire is going to wrench her away from um the bloodthirst is is mentioned as being something that he he doesn't want her to have to experience mm. but he's managed okay as have the rest of the Cullens. And we do learn over the course of the saga that there are other vampires who do the animal um, blood only thing. The vegetarian joke is a bad one. Um, you're still carnivores, dude. Um, We're
0: vegetarians.
1: Um, yeah. <laughs> no.
0: A deer it's is a not one. a vegetable. No, you always ignore your picture.
1: It really isn't.
0: Um, uh, uh, but you see what me, I mean? Let me stop you for a second. The, the thirst is actually illustrated several times as being. Very, very powerful. Specifically, I think it's the beginning of the next film when um, Bella cuts herself accidentally and uh, one of the uh, Cullens, who's a a relative newcomer to this vegetarianism, deer-only diet, goes ballistic. And he's just desperate to get across the room to her and and drink her blood because just the smell of it is driving him insane. And um, this is like beyond... Uh, alcoholic this is like beyond crackhead if an alcoholic walked into a bar and saw a glass of a uh, whiskey on the bar and then ran at it like this he'd get kicked out immediately <laughs> it, it's like it's beyond crackhead it's there is nothing as addictive as what these guys are addicted to and i don't right. really think anyone ever really puts that in context for bella
1: well in this particular, in the first film, all she really sees is is Edward's take on this, and because his bloodthirst is all tied up in his desire for her, it's almost like he's transmuted that need to drink blood into. Um, yeah need but to not her. Exactly. I can't possibly. I've managed for this long and I've I've resisted and I've avoided temptation and I've been a good boy. So if I want her blood this much, that must mean she's my soulmate. Yeesh.
0: Okay. And um, that's no
1: basis for a relationship, especially not one that's going to last forever.
0: Let's focus on... the Because the rest of the list is actually, after all the exposition, once you meet the Cullens, Twilight number one, isn't actually all that bad at all. It started to really kind of remind me of X-Men as in the first X-Men. And then, you know, she sort of, she, she meets these uh, vampires and most of them are actually pretty pleasant. There's the, the, the jock. What's his name? Emmett. Emmett. He's fun to be around. There's, uh, uh, Alice played by Ashley green, who's bubbly and pleasant and can see the future and is like, we're going to be sisters straight away. And, She's just on the side of annoying, where it's like actually now she's supposed to be a little bit annoying in how sunny she is, but she's not. That I mean she's a nice antithesis to this brooding git that Edward is the whole way through. Going to
1: have such fun and get to be lifelong friends.
0: Yeah, and uh, who else we got? Um, Peter Facinelli as uh, Carlyle. He's the he's the dad. He's 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 he, imagine Bill Pullman but a vampire.
1: He's, he's great. I really like him. Actually, I really like Carlisle as a character. In
0: he has ethics, and it's obvious. He, he does, never really get and to
1: he wants to help that people. much,
0: But he he's upright and virtuous, and he's a doctor, and he wants to try and save people's lives. He has. He's the one who encourages them all to eat deer instead of people, and um, he's kind of like Professor X, only less charismatic.
1: I'm guessing he had to overcome his bloodthirst in order that he could continue being a doctor.
0: Yeah. Yes, of course, because otherwise you're cutting people over and you're like.
1: <laughs> well, indeed. Mm. I never drink. Wine.
0: Wine. <laughs> <sighs> I've got to say, um, Bram Stoker's Dracula, I think I mentioned this before, is a work of comedy genius and must be seen, especially if you like Twilight. Um, or especially if you hate Twilight. Either way, it's a special. <laughs> Uh, Who else we got? Elizabeth Reza is is Carlisle's wife, Esme, the least vampirish of all of them. She's very mumsy, uh, very gentle, very kind, very given. There's nothing vampirish about her at all. It's only when she's like leaping about the place or chucking werewolves around, they're like, oh yeah, she's also a vampire. I forgot that. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, they're a pleasant family. not too cloyingly awful now if you've watched it's all about the mormons the south park episode you will notice that there is a kind of parallel that can be drawn with a very insular very friendly mormon family that stephanie Meyer would have grown up with and these guys so fair enough that's there is and this will go on there is something kind of reclusive kind of culty about them but it's It manages in the film to be ever so slightly off the shade of uh, repressive and scary. Put it like this, the Jedi in the Star Wars prequels are a fuck ton scarier than the Cullens. Mm.
1: I think, in essence, what stops them from falling onto the wrong side of creepy Mm. and culty is that they don't try to prevent Bella from... Mm. Having relationships. Yeah, they treat her like an adult. And yeah, exactly. And in fact, I mean, this is, I I refuse to go through this entire podcast comparing it to the Fifty Shades of Grey, but this is something that I do have to mention. Um, The the very distinct difference between um, Edward and um, Christian Grey is in this. Bella having relationships with other people mm. because in Fifty Shades Anna does not or the relationships that she has with other people are all extremely minor and always in the context of her relationship with Christian mm. what I found most interesting about um about Twilight once you we'd got past that first maybe quarter maybe third where the relationship with Edward was the, was center stage it was constantly kind of being forced to make this non-existent magnetism between Robert Pattinson and Christian Stewart appear. Um, oh, no, no, no,
0: there is magnetism there. They they do sell that. Just I don't find Edward particularly compelling as a character or Robert Pattinson particularly charismatic as an actor.
1: Maybe the fact that I find neither of those either means that I don't really see much in terms of connection between them, at least not in this first it, one. It, it worked
0: like fuck for everyone else, though. All the Twilight yeah. fans were like, oh, my God, this is so good.
1: That is very true. So
0: clearly it works on some level.
1: Yeah. Um, maybe I was just resisting it a little bit too hard because, I mean, and I, I did say this to you before, one of the reasons that, that I is was always... a natural always,
0: reaction as a grown-up.
1: <laughs> well, not, not just from that perspective, but, I mean, one of the reasons that I never liked Titanic for years and years and years was because I would watch it and think, they really want me to respond to this relationship and, and they I really want me to, to cry. And I'm not going to cry! And I, you know, it's like... I don't like feeling like my emotions are being very deliberately manipulated mm. and it's working. That's the frustrating part is that I, I do have a response to it and I squash it down because I don't like feeling that that's being dragged out of me by somebody else's say so.
0: He did it again in Avatar and you were fine with that. You went outside and touched a tree.
1: <laughs> yes, I did. That's very true. Um,
0: and some boys sniggered at you and you go, will oh, fucking kill you, really you annoyed. boss. Yeah.
1: Um, although I didn't kill them, which was very restrained of me. Um, but, um, yeah, I maybe I'm I'm growing as a person and, and feeling more comfortable with having my emotions tweaked by marketers. Mm. Um, but, um,
0: but as long as you're aware of it when, you, when, when it's happening.
1: Indeed. But to get back to my original kind point. Kind of like when
0: you're watching the, uh, the Star Trek, uh, the, the, the first new Star Trek film, you're like, wow, they really are pushing all the buttons, ticking off a giant list of things that people know about Star Trek. But it's great fun.
1: Maybe it's just needing to feel that there is some semblance of authenticity in it. Mm. Anyway, I tend
0: not to try to demand that of everything because yeah. nothing you will
1: c- inevitably. It be can't all be
0: Cameron Crowe. No, that's true,
1: um, but. Uh, it- Bella's relationship with Charlie and oh yeah, uh, Billy um, Burke
0: is Charlie. He is. is He's constantly paternal and likable and and uh, slightly baffled by everything that's going on. He he is not ever clued in on the whole vampire thing. It's not till the fifth film where anybody tells him, "Oh, dude, there's some there's some crazy goings on in Forks you didn't know about, and your daughter's heavily involved." He's just you know looking out for what's best for her. And actually, speaking of what's best for her, what you said about uh, Edward not being as uh, possessive as, say, Christian Grey, he constantly, throughout all of these films, seems to want what's best for her and her survival and and continued existence and happiness. So to his credit, he thinks about her more than he thinks about him, Mm. a lot more.
1: I think, and it is a while since I've read the books, but I personally think that this, that side of him comes through a lot more prominently in the films than it did in the books. Because I remember when I was reading the books, I was thinking he is quite creepy and possessive and not very pleasant.
0: Right. I mean, he does uh, get possessive um, later on when Jacob starts to really horn in on Bella. He's like... (laughs) And there's a bit of ape That's fighting. That's one
1: way of putting it. <laughs> it ain't uh, the boobs, though, because she hasn't got any.
0: Other good things about uh, these productions Stephanie Meyer was heavily involved in these productions. It had one screenwriter who adapted it the whole way through. Hang on a second. Uh, Melissa Rosenberg and having that one person just like Steve Clovers for Harry Potter having that one person with the through flow they know what they were leading to they, they read the books closely, carefully um, and let me just double check this one Breaking Dawn came out in uh, August 2008 and the Twilight film came out in November 2008 so she'd clearly read all but the last book when she was uh, adapting the first film and um, they were all filmed back to back as well. Like, they didn't stop for breath. It wasn't like uh, Harry Potter where they had to take a year and a half away occasionally for development and to allow the kids to grow. Uh, and it sure as hell wasn't as much of a complete pig fuck as the Narnia films have become. And um, they had the guts to just get them done as opposed to, say, The Golden Compass where they had their eye clearly just on the money. And they're also, speaking of money, they were made for very little money and made an insane amount back, like a crazy amount back. The first Twilight film um, cost $37 million and made back $392 million. And they proceeded from there to earn about 10 times their budget, pretty much across the board. That is a goldmine for a, a movie studio so that that was extremely well handled and that they could have just made it ridiculously overblown i will say the last film with the most expensive looked quite cheap in comparison to say the similarly priced harry potter and the deathly hallows which was 125 million for the uh, it was a piece for each hallow and um, uh, it was 110 million for uh, breaking dawn part 2 and they don't look anything alike in terms of realization of what that money can do There isn't so much of an obvious escalation from 38 million to 110 million. There's more fighting and more effects. Anna Kendrick, again, I think this is one of the first films she was in that people really noticed her in. As one of the human girls, uh, as Jessica, she was nice, watchable, pleasant, fun. Less so in the second movie where she comes off like a bit of a div.
1: That's, I think, more like her character in the book.
0: Right. So, hang on, in the book she's more dumb?
1: she's more irritating
0: well I suppose it's Anna Kendrick's natural charms basically sort of won out in that particular scenario she
1: is very sweet
0: Mm. Um, and when it gets really good when they get to Edward's bedroom not remotely what I'm talking about folks who haven't seen it yet (laughs) um, there's no bed Uh, he says this is where I come to brood and I think, oh, God, there's going to be one of these scenes. <laughs> and then he puts on a, a lovely piece of music, Claire de Lune, and it's quiet and they talk and uh, it's withheld. And it's I, – I know what you say about uh, you know just chucking the porn into it, but there is something quite elemental about a relationship that cannot happen uh, under um, – cultural or in, the, in this case safety reasons uh which sort of harkens back to jane austen novels where there's a certain amount of austerity and everyone's kind of withheld where a look can mean a huge amount a kiss can mean like marriage so and
1: also if you if you look at it in pure terms of of how old bella is and how old edward is supposed to be yeah
0: bella, bella's 17 he yeah so bella's 17 he's they're, like they're
1: both years. i think they're both supposed to be about 17 but it, it, At that age, the process of getting to know somebody through the things that they surround them with, through themselves with, through their music, through their their books, things like that, that's something that is quite fundamental to that type of relationship at that stage of your life um and your your room is your personal space at that age and you're letting somebody who is essentially a stranger into that personal space and sharing with them who you are and it's it's kind of almost like it's got a feeling to it of that first exploratory sex scene that you might get with an older um romance does that make sense
0: yeah the film accelerates at this point. They go to have a fun, innocuous baseball game with mutant powers, and they're sort of running around the track and at extreme speed, like Road Runner. And um...
1: they have to play in thunderstorms so that everybody will think that when they hit the ball, it's um, thunder because it's so loud.
0: Really, is that part of the book?
1: That's part of the film.
0: Oh. Do you not know,
1: remember? She says to him, "I see now why you have to play. You have to wait for a storm to play."
0: Yeah. I see why you have to play in Thunderstorms, because you look totally badass. And, of course, they play Supermassive Black Hole by Muse, always a good thing. Um, and then the other vampires turn up. And you've seen them hunting regular terrified humans earlier, and there's three of them. And um, one of them's all dreadlocky, the other one's a girl. And uh, then you've got Cam Gigandet as uh, James. And it's like he's a young Brad Pitt stunt double. In a good way. He's got this really creepy, like he's got black eyes and he's got this animalistic head tilt about him. Uh, Folks who are familiar with X-Men will uh, agree he is quite saber-toothy in his behavior and his uh, uh, sadistic treatment of his prey when he catches a whiff of bellow and he realizes that they've got a human amongst vampires there's this sudden oh this shit just got real that happens and like they're all sort of squaring off against each other uh, and it's a little bit kind of sharks and the jets but at the same time a that, little bit a lot and that persists throughout the series because of course the cullens are also up against werewolves and there's various rival gangs um but um there is a palpable sense of danger from this point. And then the Cullen's like, right, that's it. This guy's a hunter. He's going to hunt you to the ends of the earth. He's going to fucking kill you. we got to get you to safety. And then it repels itself forwards, and then she gets capt- captured by James, and he takes her to the ballet studio. And there's this big, final, dramatic end sequence where he wants her to die so that Edward can be heartbroken, and then he can kill Edward. He's just this, like, really sadistic kind of guy. And... um uh, anyone, anyone, anyone who's seen Never Back Down will recognise him as uh, the uh, bully from the Cobra Kai and Karate Kid. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's uh, his Brad Pittiness and Saber Toothiness, and uh, when Edward finally unleashes on him when he turns up to rescue Bella, like a, a, a knight in dark armour, um, it's suitably charged and i actually got a little bit choked up but during the point where bella is uh, she's bitten and she's screaming and edward's trying to work out how to save her and um has to suck out the venom of the vampire and, and it, it's again this is the point where katherine hardwick really kind of comes into herself and, and starts directing properly
1: which is a shame that she left it right to the end yeah but i do quite this the the Uh, the other vampire group i quite like the contrast between them because yes although it is a little bit sort of west side story um it's uh you've you've got the um victoria and her gang are they're almost celtic if that makes sense victoria Mm. has this sort of very long mane of, of curly red hair and she wears what looks like a lion fur or something around her shoulders all the time um, and um, and that was sort of the impression that I got of them was that they were sort of very very old and part of kind of a warrior sect or something like that and then you've got the Cullens who regardless of, of what point in history they've all come from and there is something very sort of Late Victorian to early twenties about all of them. Oh,
0: there's a bit of a flashback when Jacob's talking about the Cullens meeting the werewolves the first ones. time.
1: Oh my god! The cold yes, ones. and
0: they're dressed like they're out fox yeah. hunting. <laughs> it's the least practical <laughs> clothes for hunting deer on foot i've <clears> ever <throat> seen they look until like a bunch of twits playing the croquet oh, Tell film
1: when bella goes after the deer in a blue cocktail dress and that's no the most impractical uh, outfit for hunting deer but anyway um
0: that was but, done that was shot deliberately to make it seem like even though she appears fragile she's actually a total badass yeah,
1: no, no, i know um but um but the thing with the Collins is that If you look at them, they are all about image. They're all about what they're presenting to the outside world. They have it in their heads what humans are supposed to look like. And they go out of their way to look as human as possible. And in the process of doing so, they actually go a little bit far and start stepping into the uncanny valley. Um, I mean, when they they have the baseball um, match they're all dressed like professional baseball players. How many families do you know who dress up like that in order to play sport in the back garden?
0: Imagine how massive their wardrobes are.
1: Yes, well, they've obviously had plenty of time to um, amass their their stuff. Mm. But it it does, um, that to me, gives them a little bit of a, a slightly wistful air that they're always pretending to be this thing that they're not, which is a normal human American family.
0: So I think, yeah, we'll we'll put a lid on that first film. I think the next few will take a lot less time to explain because we'll already have the scene set. Let's move on to New Moon from 2009, directed by Chris Weitz, director of the aforementioned Golden Compass. Bella and Edward are boyfriend and girlfriend. Bella is scared that she will grow old someday. Edward gets scared that Bella will be hurt spending time with him and refuses to turn her into a vampire. He leaves. Bella grieves. She meets with her friend Jacob, who is now very hot. Victoria, the girlfriend of James, the vampire Edward killed, hunts Bella and kills her father's friend. Jacob saves Bella after she jumps off a cliff. Turns out he's a werewolf, and he and his wolfy family of Native Americans have an uneasy truce with the Cullens. Bella finds out that Edward has gone to a group of elder vampire ponces called the Volturi to ask them to kill him and end his pain. Bella flies to Italy and stops him. The Volturi are very interested in the fact that Bella can block their magic powers. She has the power to nullify powers. Edward asks Bella to marry him.
1: Mm.
0: Hmm. Okay
1: lot of understatement in that synopsis.
0: Yeah, this one's very <laughs> dramatic.
1: It's very intense, isn't very it? Heartfelt. I mean, you you say Bella grieves. Bella does not grieve. Bella is plunged into a full-scale, many months long depression.
0: Yeah, she's paralysed in a chair for for a wonderful. Um, what is it, is it? A tracking show? It just goes round and round yeah, the room, and the, and and the seasons it, change.
1: That's right. Yeah, I, it is. It sounds like a weird thing to say about such a, an emotionally. Um, horrendous time for a human being but that section is fantastic.
0: Absolutely. Uh, It it wasn't so much the sitting in the chair looking miserable it's the points where it's sort of while while the music's going on it cuts to Bella sleeping and she's screaming in her sleep and, and waking herself up and her father Charlie sells that moment because he doesn't know what to do with her. He doesn't know what's going on with her. He just knows that her boyfriend's left and he doesn't get why she's that involved. And he's, you know, when he speaks to her, he's like, you know, enough of this. Um, but yeah, it's it's like a knife stabbing at her over and over again. And, and uh, it's it, even if you've, you've sort of sat through the first one going, pur, 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 when you see this bit, it takes away all the vampires and it's just a girl hurting. And everyone who's really hurt like that will be able to feel a little bit of... Yeah, okay, I get that.
1: Well, it does, it does get across. Um, and, and essentially, if you take away all the supernatural elements, one of the things that this uh, series of stories does actually really well is um, the intensity of adolescent emotion and the... Uh, Again, looking back on it with total 35-year-old cynicism, the hormonal burn that hits you at around that age and literally just needs to latch on to something. And if it, if it manages to latch on to somebody who appears to reciprocate the intensity of those feelings, it can be strong enough to make you think this is a relationship for all time. And very occasionally, it is. But that—the magnitude of what you feel at that age—is really hard to replicate. Once you've passed out of that that sort of um, phase of, of everything being so intense and being so huge—and part of it is probably because it's—it's it's probably the first time you felt anything like that. Um, but the the whole thing about um, if. When they look at, at sort of the the brain chemicals and the the um, neural patterns of people who are in love, in in the you know in love in capital letters, romance boom fireworks etc. etc. and the the patterns of people who are experiencing um, kind of mental uh, instability, they are very similar because it's just so chaotic and you feel so much all the time. And you know the idea of that grabbing on to Quite often, the nearest thing available that actually, like I say, appears to reciprocate is is big. It's huge at that age. It's, it's kind of harder to identify it, with it as an older person. And I think that's, again, one of the reasons why I was kind of really keen to push this away when I first experienced it.
0: Yeah um this film i can't remember which film it was but one of them started really making me think about um the idea that maybe the antithesis of love is not hate that it's not like a straight line with love at one end and hate at the other and one is the opposite of the other i began to think maybe it's actually two straight lines at the end of one is love at the end of that same one is obsession the idea being, if you love somebody truly and utterly, you will let them go for their own good. If you're obsessed with them truly and utterly, you will never let them go, even if it's for their own good. So it's, it's, it's kind of like a clock face with love at the top and obsession just slightly like a, at uh, 11.59, but you can't go left. You can only go all the way around clockwise to obsession
1: i think there's you can't be
0: obsessed about somebody and then suddenly love them unless you're the phantom of the opera
1: <laughs> well i don't know it depends but there's there's elements of of sort of this is where uh hate and resentment start to come into it as well because you've but that's, hang on
0: before we carry on the other line is you've got hate at one end and you've got not giving a fuck at the other end oh, the idea being that yeah. if you're throwing all your energy into hating this person it's actually a little bit closer to obsession but if you take away all that energy just completely you don't give a fuck
1: absolutely well the, the true opposite of all of these incredibly intense emotions is apathy is is you know not as you say not giving a fuck about this person or or their um their role in your life um but the the whole sort of you know love edging into obsession thing that this is where you start to get elements of of maybe being angry at that person because you can't control them to make them do what you want them to do and they may not um, they may not um return the love that you supposedly feel for them and rather than looking at it in terms of well all right maybe i'm just not the one to make them happy that then becomes no i will make you love me and you will stay with me and you you know yeah. you will choose me
0: somebody who's good with art programs and understands these concepts that we're laying down draw us like a a uh a table or a circle or something that represents this. Give us a graph or something.
1: (laughs) You don't need a graph for that. What you want for that
0: is a pie 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 chart. (laughs) Okay. A bad thing about uh, new moon. Eddie Gathegi as Laurent is suddenly very out of character. This is the raster from the end of the uh, um, first movie. He was mates with Victoria. Who's now hunting Bella. He was mates with James who uh, was killed for hunting Bella. Uh, at the end of Twilight, he's like, "Ah, I'm sick of their bullshit." And he actually warns the Cullens about it. And then when they meet him again when Bella meets him again, he's like, "Oh, Victoria's coming for you, and I'm going to kill you myself." And it's like, "Wait a second, you said you didn't give a fuck anymore." So it's just, uh, one of the annoying things about the whole series is because it's always from Bella's point of view. Shit is happening which she is not party to. And some of it you get to see in, um, specifically in Eclipse, you get to see stuff that Bella really has no idea about. And whenever it cuts to Volturi on their own, but they're a bunch of prats. Um, But I I wanted to know more about Victoria. And unfortunately, when she speaks, it's not all that fascinating. But in this second one, Victoria never says a word. And uh, she's actually a lot more powerful as a presence by just sort of stalking Bella and uh, hanging around the forest. And she's this sort of, at one point, uh, the camera cuts out up behind um, uh, uh, Charlie's dad and uh, his friend. And you can just sort of see blurrily in the background Victoria's shock of orange hair as she hangs from one of the treetops. You're like, oh my God, she's like a jungle cat.
1: She does emphasise that animalistic element of the vampires Mm. um, in this one, which I actually find more interesting than the overtly trying to be human side of them that has mostly been put across in the first one.
0: In these first two, Victoria is played by Rachel Lefebvre. Um, and there was a scheduling conflict for eclipse and she was, had to do something called Barney's story or something for 10 days. And they said, right, you're out. And it's like, well, wait a second. I can probably, nope, you're out. We've got Bryce Dallas Howard. And, uh, some fans protested and tried to get her back in the film, but it was too late and they'd already filmed it. And it was like, whoa. And it almost seemed like they were trying to keep everyone in line. And, uh, look, you know, we can replace you. Don't even think about doing a, um, Crispin Glover on us and, and try to hold out for some money. There were a few of them, a few of the Cullens, who were a bit sort of, uh, hey, Bella and Edward and Jacob are getting paid enormous sums of money and we're not. Uh, and they were basically told, look, this is the deal. Put up or shut up or we'll we'll write you out of this story uh, and recast easily and no one will be able to do shit because the, the people they really care about are uh, uh, Bella, Edward and Jacob. On the upside, Edward's potential suicide is complicated there's no dramatic walking out to greet the sunrise for him uh, he's um how does it actually take place let's do that in a bit actually that's near the end sure i suppose you could probably I, i've i've highlighted in in the in the good side of things taylor lautner is supremely hot as jacob do you want to feel this one because this is his film to shine
1: um <laughs> yes yes he is um I suppose, do, do I technically have to declare bias at this point?
0: You can if you want.
1: Yeah. Are you because and
0: Team Jacob.
1: I've got to admit, Jacob turned me into a total horn dog. <laughs> it was actually snatcher. a little bit depressing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Having noted on the IMDb that Taylor Lautner was born in 1992, I thought, okay, that's fine. I'm going to hell. I can deal with that.
0: A special hell
1: the special hell the um,
0: special hell yeah man Christina With, Hendricks would have been good in this film she
1: would possibly as Victoria
0: I was going to say yeah
1: mm. um, so yeah ah Jacob. oh god this is really hard he I has a really, nice chest. <laughs> he has a really nice chest he's got white
0: teeth he's got um, sculpted black hair well, he's always in the rain he's okay, he really but, worked out
1: a lot of it kind of feeds into um uh, to my opinions on how the relationship between the three of them progresses at this point. Um, Because like a lot of people my age, male and female and and all of the permutations in between, uh, my perspective on kind of adolescent relationships and how they go has been kind of shaped by John Hughes movies.
0: Which is not a bad thing.
1: It's not a bad thing. Dude
0: knew his teenagers. He
1: did indeed. He did indeed. But, this, what builds between... Uh, Bella and Jacob in, in this film. And because basically, after Edward disappears and Bella has her whole um, depressed thing, she realizes that um, if, if she puts that's herself an in. statement
0: right there. <laughs>
1: well, exactly. Um, she realizes that if she puts herself in dangerous situations, she gets Edward's. She sees visions of Edward, basically. Yeah, she gets so she goes on a bike ride with head.
0: a rapist.
1: So, yeah. Um, she gets his voice in her head saying, you know, you, you have to take care of yourself. You're not. I don't want you to, to come to harm. But because that's the only way she she's a little bit christian fray there well see i don't think that's him because the the whole point of this is that um he couldn't read her thoughts so it seems a little bit incongruous that all of a sudden he can project himself into her mind Mm. i think that's her yeah but her self her sense of self-preservation is coming out as edward's voice So she's putting herself in deliberately dangerous situations so that she can see him.
0: Well, she um, ne- he never actually saves her. In fact, no. uh, he, he he finds he believes that she's dead at one point and, and yeah. didn't do a damn thing to stop it. Exactly. So it's not him.
1: No. Um, but there's there's a point at which she, she jumps off a cliff, not as a suicide thing. She's seen some of the, the local guys um, cliff diving and she thinks, aha, that looks dangerous. I'll give that a go and see if it gives me another vision of Edward. And um, obviously not being really built for cliff diving um, she ends up getting into difficulties and Jacob ends up saving her and because they've had this he's been the friend who was there for her when Edward disappeared and it's, it's obvious in the first bit that there's something growing between them at least on Jacob's side and Bella seems to kind of reciprocate and kind of not and she's still all hung up on Edward but the point at which this kind of really clicked for me that i was never going to appreciate the fact that she was going to end up with edward is that uh, there are two particular uh, john hughes movies that i respond to in very different ways i am probably one of the only teenage girls ever who really didn't like the way pretty and pink ended uh-huh. Right? Now, okay, statute of limitations on John Hughes movies being well and truly over. If you haven't seen them already, then tough. Um, but Pretty in Pink, Molly Ringwald is basically put in the position of having to choose, sort of, it's not really a choice, but um, she she has two options. She has Ducky, who has been her friend forever and adores her and, it, you know, is always there for her and listens to her and, uh, and all the rest of it. And then she has... I can't even remember Blaine. his name. Andrew McCarthy. Blaine, yes, thank you. Um, who is sort of the Prince Described child.
0: on the front cover as a pretty cool guy.
1: Yeah, indeed. And it's it, it's not that I have anything against Andrew McCarthy. I loved Andrew McCarthy. In in most of his other roles, I thought he was absolutely fantastic. But you loved
0: John, John Cryer more because he was no, outcast? No, no.
1: no, It's it Well, that, that was kind of part of it. But basically, this idea that if you... Meets If you see somebody across a crowded room, right, and, and gender is irrelevant at this point. If you see somebody and you think, my God, that person is perfect. All I want in life is to be with them. They are my ideal. That poor sod has nowhere to go but down.
0: So to speak.
1: Right. Well, indeed. Um, so when you inevitably, in a, in a romance, do get to know them... I, it's for them to get more wonderful seems a bit ridiculous to me. The kind of relationship that makes more sense to me are the ones where this is somebody that you've known for a long time that you have not necessarily like oceans in common with but that you like spending time with if you're if you're with somebody and being with them makes you feel calm and makes you feel like you can be yourself and relaxed and happy, and just that you are enjoying what's happening, just being in their company. That's the person that you grab and hang on to and don't let go of. The person who makes you feel all confused and jumbled up, and and but they're so devastatingly wonderful, and and I can't. But they're possibly... so mean to me. Yeah, no, that's don't do that. They turn out to be a dick in 99% of cases. They turn out to be a dick. And if they don't, then inevitably the relationship will reach a point where it disappoints from the, the image that you had built up in your head. So in pretty and pink, Molly Ringwald ends up with Blaine and poor Ducky has to go and just, you know, be a nerd somewhere off on his own. Um,
0: is that the idea? You've got to go and be a nerd somewhere on your own. They're
1: basically. I, I mean, it's while well since I've seen <laughs> okay. it. Okay.
0: <but laughs> I didn't realise that was the rule.
1: Yeah, but that's, that's the essence of it. Anyway, um, the other one, which kind of contrasts that, is Some Kind of Wonderful, where Eric Stoltz gets to be with the girl who's been his best friend forever and, and you know, has been there for him. And, and I don't get why the guy... Gets to have the person who knows him and understands him and cares about him and, and just wants him to, you know, wants him to be happy, and the girl has to end up with Dickhead Prince Charming.
0: So it's like if, in at the end of Teen Wolf, he'd have just dived on Heather and left Booth crying in the audience.
1: Absolutely, she wasn't really called Heather, was she? No, no. dude, he's got Heather. Yeah, I can't remember what her actual name was, but yes, it, all the films that that I ever really responded to in terms of relationships with the ones where it was like you've you know you've been my friend for so long i didn't realize that what i felt for you was actually more than that and you can be damn sure that when lyra reaches an age where i'm giving her any kind of relationship advice which may well never happen but if it does it will be if there is somebody that you are really close to and they seem to understand you go with that don't be looking for the the idealised stranger who, you know, you project all of these fantasy romances onto and can't possibly meet them. And to me, that's what Edward always was, this fantasy prince charming who is inevitably going to disappoint. And Jacob was the friend that she'd known since she was knee-high to a grasshopper and all of a sudden had got immensely hot while nobody was looking. So it's like having
0: your cake and having another cake that's awesome
1: yeah <laughs> basically but there's a lot of that was down to taylor lautner to be fair he wasn't supposed to come back as jacob later on in the series because in, in the books jacob literally grows so much but because like different of the person. because of the werewolf thing yeah um in consequence
0: it seems like a really good magic trick it's it's definitely the same act You're like wow
1: well he really he wanted, he really wanted to come back and play the play the part again and he said look if I work out if I get really buff will you let me come back and do it
0: at least he wasn't wearing that's, glasses before with his hair done up in a tight bun
1: that's true but and, and a massive side effect for him was that he got really buff and all of a yeah. sudden women the world over were like ah ha 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 I
0: suppose yeah it would have been kind of cool to be in the uh, uh, car room when he sort of came back in after several months of eating a lot of potatoes and doing lots of bench presses, and uh, as you can see, I'm now really hot.
1: Exactly. So you see, this is this is the problem for me, and this is where New Moon really starts to fall down. Uh-huh. Um, in that you know she's Bella's doing this whole oh my god must find Edward soulmate thing, and I'm like,
0: there's better for you. Look
1: at it. He's right there. I mean. Oh. Sake, you don't have to go anywhere. I think he even says at one point he has this this wonderful little speech about being with me would be as easy as breathing. It's you know you don't you have, to, don't do have to try. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to be anything you're not.
0: You don't have to just, change.
1: Yeah, you, you that's just the thing. If
0: she's be... with the werewolf, she won't become a werewolf. I didn't even understand that because they didn't make it clear. I thought, well, just, just you know, if we're going by vampire rules, surely just bites her and then she's a werewolf too. No, no, they're not.
1: They're not born
0: actually, a werewolf. Yeah. So uh, speaking of vampire rules, no real explanation as to why they sparkle. I know, not they? <laughs> I know that drives everybody crazy. You kind of have to just go, okay, the vampires sparkle. Now let's move on. You could, I, I, I've said before, they basically they have no weaknesses at all, only strengths as vampires. But then I looked really at how they were addressing the thirst issue and the fact that they're dribbling crackheads. And how isolated that actually makes them. And I thought, no, actually, that's a real side effect. That's a real drawback. They're not just having a great time being vampires. They really can't be around humans without actually being in some pain. So that's their drawback.
1: But then you look at how that's presented in the different groups of vampires mm. and it, it all depends, it's all relative on how their outlook on life is. Because yes, that's terrible for the Cullens, and yes, they have to keep themselves away from humans when they're hungry because they, they don't want to mess up the, the relationships and the lives that they've got. But you look at the Volturi who fully embrace that side of themselves. Yeah, but they're they awful characters.
0: They don't need
1: humans to be around.
0: And well, yes yeah, The exactly. characters that you want to be off the screen as soon as possible because they're yes. just stop pouncing up the place
1: because they're just these and again they are the epitome of this sort of if you imagine the vampire the masquerade type vampires hmm. only without the politics which is the only interesting bit of vampire the masquerade or um Anne rice's vampire chronicles i can't
0: believe we've taken nearly an hour to mention Anne rice
1: yeah but so
0: this, much the of vampire these books
1: chronicles without the sex which is the only interesting bit of, of Anne rice's vampire chronicles um and you've well and, and the history but that's
0: you love Anne Rice's Vampire Chronicles You read them religiously as a teenager
1: Yes I know but the vampires themselves mm. Are very dull they If are... you've
0: seen Interview with the Vampire Folks Remember Antonio Banderas as Armand Him and all his poncy friends yes. Those are the Volturi Yes, They are
1: and they're, they're... They
0: decide who and how Who becomes a vampire and how those vampires behave yes. They're dictators basically
1: uh, I'm not good looking I was just kidding.
0: Yeah, I am. So yeah, there's a bunch of, of stupid rules, and you kind of got to go up. Oh, okay, right. That's all the whole vampire thing. Now let's move on. And uh, <laughs> unfortunately, the rules about werewolves are sort of mumbled halfway through, gritted teeth, during a scene where Jacob's staring at Bella. One of the many, many scenes. <laughs> um, and uh, and so it's it's less clear. And there was a bit. of... I got to the end of the film and uh, the film series, and I won't spoil exactly what it was, but I was like oh, well, this will be the case. And you went, no, this this is not the case. And I went, well, when did they explain that? And they never really seemed to. But yeah, I don't, I don't want to spoil the last film. We'll get, get to that when we get to that. But I um,
1: don't think they were writing these films for people who were not already fans of the book. I think that's what it comes down to.
0: Well, no, because there's plenty of people like Mark Kermo didn't uh, read the books and Paul Shotton and Tony well, no, Atkins you, you didn't don't, read the books.
1: You don't have to. A lot of the background information, they haven't bothered to put it in.
0: So kind of like the Harry Potter, specifically Azkaban.
1: Yeah. If you know, you know. If you don't know, you don't care. That is. Yeah, but
0: a lot of that really does sort of play into how it ends, surely. Yes, it
1: does. And that's one of the reasons why I'm not wildly keen on Breaking Dawn Part 2.
0: We'll get to that later.
1: Yes, we will. Uh,
0: But, uh, yeah. Right. Here's the other thing that that, that is problematic about um, uh, just maybe do the entire series, but specifically um, New Moon, it never really feels like Bella has a choice. She chose to be with Edward in the first film, and Jacob, throughout the series, is a distraction. It never seems like she's going to choose him, which is fine, I suppose, but it always seemed to be presented as this choice, and like, ooh, whose camp are you in? Are you in Team Edward or Tim Jacob? And it's like, if you were in Team Jacob... You were fighting a losing battle with the underdog, sorry, the whole way through because she was never going to pick him.
1: Because she's an idiot.
0: Yeah. No. I, I kind of have to mention that now because obviously that, that does apply through the whole series because, you know, you're watching it through and you're like, at no point is Bella really – basically she and uh, Edward are soulmates and that's never going to change.
1: But my question would be how can you be soulmates with somebody who keeps insisting they don't have a soul?
0: I don't have a soul. Except for the fact that Carlyle and, in fact, most of the uh, C- Cullens are extremely kind. And mm. kindness has to come from somewhere, it can't come from some black pit.
1: Hmm, absolutely. But An if Edward focused on his behaviour rather than obsessing about the fact that he was a vampire. His
0: biology, yeah. yeah that I don't might have a make a more
1: interesting character. But the, the, the idea of these, all of these strengths and none of the weaknesses that vampires traditionally have.
0: Yeah, they're all daywalkers. They're all blade.
1: Yeah. And not only are they daywalkers, but when they go out in the sun, they look like flipping rhinestone statues. Um, but...
0: There is a bit where Edward sort of walks out into the sunshine to try to um, reveal himself to the world, which will make the Volturi kill him. And Bella's like no! And running at him. Okay, folks, imagine you're in a Tuscan street in Italy and some boy comes out of a church and glitters. Like, you know, he takes off his shirt and he sparkles in the sunlight. The world would not suddenly go, vampires! That guy's really a vampire! If he shouted at the street, I'm a vampire, behold, and then sparkled. They'd go, I'm not entirely sure how those two things marry up, but this goth is very, very dedicated. (laughs) That's all they'd say. It wouldn't really be revealing himself to the world. But, I mean, even if he was just pretending to be what we consider to be a vampire, if he's not going to explode in the sunlight, but if he comes out... In, say, at night, to a bunch of, um, you know, watching people in the street and goes, I'm a vampire. They would go, that gots really, really into it. But they would never, it, it, you're not really coming out. You're not really revealing yourself to the world. I suppose you could leap into the air and then come back down again and go, ah, how do I do that, huh? Because I'm a vampire.
1: And nobody in this world seems to be at all familiar with the fictional vampire Law and mm. mythology but yeah all no, the glittering. stuff bella goes and looks up is is like proper ancient mythology stuff
0: the cold ones no yes. they've never seen a vampire movie although uh she does have in the first film this sort of like uh, uh a weird fantasy about the sort of very scratchy <laughs> 80s looking phantom of the yeah. opera style and edward kissing her on a silken bed and it's like ooh. is that supposed to be hilarious i think it is i
1: think it is yeah yeah, I think that is deliberately supposed to be yeah. amusing. But then he, the, the point at which um, at the tail end of the film, Edward's got to the stage of, of wanting to die because he <clears> thinks that Bella is dead. Um, and this is the point at which in, again, many of the vampire fictions that I have consumed in the course of my life, um, the extremely uh, miserable vampire hero walks out into the sunrise. And that's his death. That's, you know, there's this, it's usually portrayed as sort of this huge choice thing that he embraces the light. And in doing so, that is his last action. Um, And um, uh, Edward can't do that. He, he doesn't have that option. That's why he ends up with the Volturi, basically wanting them to rip him to shreds because that's the yeah. only way vampires can die in this. For
0: non fans, by the way, that's how you kill a vampire. They're basically made of porcelain and you rip their heads off and their arms and then you burn the bits of them. Yeah. Uh huh. I suppose that, that, that compounds the idea that they're hollow and don't have souls.
1: Yeah, I suppose so. And they do when you uh, when there's fights going on later on as well. You can see that when they get hit particularly hard, their skin kind of cracks and and crazes as, at, like you say, like porcelain being smashed. And it heals again very quickly if they haven't actually had their heads broken off. But yeah, yeah.
0: Speaking of the vulturary, we get Michael Sheen here now. Folks may remember Michael Sheen from the underworld films, where he was actually in comparison to this relatively restrained. Um, I think his name is Lucian in in the Underworld films. Now, I will say, I hate the Underworld films. They're awful. But Michael Sheen in this is utterly mental. And he's, like, rolling his eyes and, like, doing a really eccentric performance. Like, I suppose he's a bit like a comedy version of Gary Oldman in um, uh, Dracula.
1: Yeah, but really over the top. The voice is the the main thing. Yeah. He's so high-pitched on he widely. looks like rick male he does and the uh, fact that one of his brothers looks like neil neil really doesn't ones. hurt that particular analogy
0: oh guys one of the cullens has come they really like bringing me down <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah you also meet uh, dakota fanning in this and she's this really horrible um uh she has like she can do crucio basically yeah and um yeah she's she's basically the the image of armand as written in the books uh, of the uh, um the anne rice ones a beautiful golden child who's incredibly sadistic
1: that's right although the other brother um who's played by chap who plays grindelwald in um the harry potter films yeah. um he looks like armand was supposed to look yeah. in my head
0: so yeah, just an in- enormous bunch of, bunch of ponces. They sort it out. Ella, Bella goes home with uh, Edward and uh, Jacob broods and goes, Ugh, well, you know, I'll love you until your heart stops beating, and then
1: that's, I won't. That's a bit later, isn't it? Because they, that the, they leave. They leave the stand. The Volturi leave the standing instruction that now that Bella knows about them, knows about the vampires, She's got to be a vampire. They have to basically either turn her or kill her. Yeah. And if they don't, then the Volturi will come and either turn her or kill her.
0: But most... Yeah, most they also they want her. her because of her powers of uh, blocking stuff. And it's again, it's very X-Men. It's like, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the Hellfire Club. Completely yes. the Hellfire Club. Bunch Indeed. of ponces. Anyway... Um, but the without other,
1: Emma Frost cracking wise in the corner.
0: Yeah. The other really good... Um, uh, bit in uh, New Moon is uh, a Tom York number, uh, hearing damage, which takes place earlier in the film when Victoria's tear-assing around the forest, and um, it's it's guided by the music and it's set to this really sort of thumping piece that I'm going to play for you guys right now. But um, it's really moody and it's really sort of excellently shot, and uh, you know one of my favourite bits of the uh, series.
1: I think the music in this. Whole saga is a huge part of um, creating that feeling of everything being emotion led mm. um, because ultimately it's all quite modern apart from the odd piece of Debussy and, and things like that, but it's they really capture that sort of deep, brooding, adolescent intensity. Type music. Yeah. Um, that I mean. They even finished like the you...
0: first film with Linkin Park. I was
1: just about to say you got Muse, you got Linkin Park, you know that that kind of new metal, uh, emotion rock thing um, that I have no word for because my knowledge of musical genres is terrible. Um, if
0: it had been done in the eighties, it would have been all new romantic. Yes. <laughs> yes,
1: it would. It totally would. There would have been so much Duran Duran in there, it would hurt.
0: Nice. move on to Eclipse from 2010 directed by David Slade he of Hard Candy and 30 Days of Night Victoria forms an army of strong newborn vampires to kill Bella and also if possible the Cullens the Cullens team up with the werewolves and hide Bella in a tent Jacob makes a clumsy move for her and when it's clear she'll choose Edward over him he runs off there's a big fight with vampires and werewolves the good guys win. Victoria and her army are killed. And that's it. This is actually my favourite of the series. It, it's not really much actually happens. It doesn't develop the story all that much. It's kind of just a reprise of the themes of the... It technically didn't even really have to happen. They could j- technically have jumped straight to Breaking Dawn Part 1. There's, I mean, they could basically have cleared up some of this just by killing Victoria in the second one. And having Bella say, "Really, Jacob? No." Uh, but it's my favourite, and um, when it comes down to it, it's because each film is a different type of film. The first one is a, uh, uh, a teen romance. The second is a teen romance melodrama because it's 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 led a lot by a sense of loss rather than discovery. Uh, this third one is a fantasy, or a fantasy sci-fi. With slight horror overtones as well, um, hence them getting David Slade. And uh, the um, next one, uh, Breaking Dawn Part One, is a uh, kind of a family drama. Again, it's it's um, it's more like Steel Magnolias or something like that. It's it, it changes again. And then Breaking Dawn Part Two again goes back to sort of a sci-fi fantasy uh, with, I suppose, melodrama overtones. But this middle one feels very, very competent. It feels very whippy and pacey, and that they they set up who everyone is very quickly, and and you're that you're on board. There's a lot less extraneous exposition and a lot more characterization. This is the one where the Cullens step forwards, and um, uh, Jasper, uh, the previously mostly silent uh, guy played by Jackson Rathbone, who Folks will remember played Sokka in the last Airbender, and so immediately got hatred from me for the first two films. Suddenly comes through as a really quite interesting character, and actually pretty excellently performed. Nikki Reed as Rosalie Hale, even more so. Suddenly comes through, and you're like, "Wow, there's depths to these guys." And this is the one which, if it, basically, I, you know, if I was going to suggest anything to anyone, if they're newcomers to the series, start with Eclipse. It sets the tone much better than the first two if you're a boy or if you're a girl who doesn't like a lot of melodrama.
1: It's worth noting, by the way, that um, in in terms of how the books were structured... um, Stephanie Meyer specifically based um, them on different uh, literary classics. So she she kind of framed Twilight around Pride and Prejudice, um, and New Moon was um, based on Romeo and Juliet, and Eclipse was based on Wuthering Heights.
0: Uh-huh. Which
1: out of those three, Wuthering Heights is far and away my favourite literary. Which one's the fourth based on? Uh, Midsummer Night's Dream.
0: Oh, I can see that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and yeah, the other thing is it's got uh, a musical score by Howard Shaw of the Lord of the Rings films. So even if I closed my eyes and didn't hear any words throughout the film, it's immediately going to capture me on an elemental level. And like I said, the, uh, the focus on characterization and the performances suddenly jump up, not so much for... Um, uh, the, the main three who've been who, who remain as pretty consistent with uh, who they are but the supporting cast most definitely and Slade definitely takes this a lot more seriously than the first two
1: well he's got form with
0: vampire stuff mm. I say a lot more seriously maybe he, it's him taking it a bit less seriously actually I don't know he hits just the right tone where it's like okay there's real danger at this point mm. but he doesn't go in get bogged down with detail that we don't need to know about.
1: It is pretty sparse.
0: Mm. Also, it's the only film in the series with consistently decent action sequences. Now, this is obviously kind of a lavish thing to say, but there is many points throughout the other four films where I was going, ooh, because there's just bits that look really awful. And it's, it's like, well, this is this film, Twilight the original Twilight, $38 million, I suppose they had a pretty low budget, but it's like TV movie levels of running about the place and the werewolves aren't fully realised. And Stephanie Meyer did a uh, commentary on this third one and actually comes through as, as quite professional. And she pointed out that she quite likes that, how they realised werewolves in this with human eyes rather than these sort of animal ones. And it, um, it makes them seem more... Um, palpable. And the werewolves themselves are absolutely fucking mahusive and they seem kind of like, like extremely dynamic dire wolves, if you're big fans of Game of Thrones.
1: The, the effects on the wolves are great in this one.
0: Yeah, And then, of course, there's the tent scene. Sharon, you want to describe what happens here? The tent
1: scene. <laughs> right, okay. You may have to excuse me if my voice cracks at any point. Um, basically in some kind of really roundabout, pointless narrative contrivance that exists solely to get Bella, Edward and Jacob in a small space away from everybody else...
0: They're That's hiding Bella. That's all it
1: exists for. Who, Basically, by the way, is...
0: Bella is very much a flag in this film. Oh, she totally the is. The newborns want her. The Cullens want to protect her. The yeah, werewolves the are thinking about it either way. And, yeah, yeah. And when the she's, wolves... She's, this is while, while the wolves and the new... Are preparing to fight the... And Sorry, this is while the wolves and the Cullens are preparing to fight the newborns. And I think I actually, when we first saw it, turned off the soundtrack and put on Frankie Goes to Hollywood okay. When Two Tribes Go to War... <laughs> <laughs> and it worked really well. It synced up when the actual fighting broke out. It did,
1: yeah. But, but, uh, but yeah, carry on, the, yeah. They're, they're so, off in so a tent So this, to this hide fight her. is is about to kick off, and um, the deal is that they have to keep Bella away from um, the the area so that the Volturi won't realise that she's still human and blah blah blah. So Edward goes with her, and um, and then. But there's something like they have to to get her up to this tent that's halfway up a mountain. She can't walk because Victoria will smell her trail and know that that's where she's gone. And so and then they go. But um, and she'll smell Edward if Edward takes her. But Jacob can carry her and then all she'll be able to smell is wolf. Um, And so that's that's the idea. And so Jacob, in his big manly muscles, gets to carry Bella up this mountain. <laughs>
0: Well, good for him.
1: And so they all end up in this tent.
0: And um, Bella's freezing because, of course, um, Edward is cold. Yes. He is, and so it no occur to him
1: that a snowy mountain was probably not the best place to take refuge. And he can't do anything about the fact didn't that bring Bella any is freezing to death. So she's lying there in this sleeping bag, like Parker and mittens up to the eyeballs, but still really shivering really badly. And then suddenly they realise that one of the side effects of Jacob being a werewolf is that his body temperature is very high compared to normal humans.
0: Which makes him extremely hot. Yes. Like, he walks around on this freezing mountain without a shirt.
1: Without he, he goes most places without a shirt these days, primarily because, right, when the guys who turn into wolves turn into wolves, they all their clothes their fall off instantly. <laughs>
0: yeah, instantly.
1: <laughs> Never in these films do you see them turn back from wolves into humans because they'd be running around buck naked, and Clocking. we can't possibly have that. Um, yes. So, yeah, so so the basically Jacob comes into the tent in order to keep Bella warm, which gives rise to one of the most awesome lines in a film ever. Let's face it. I am hotter than you.
0: He's got you there. Uh, a, it's a nice rejoinder because uh, Edward himself says earlier, doesn't he have a shirt? <laughs> yeah. He owns no shirts at this yeah. point. This um, is kind of a dry, it's like a, a bit more of a sort of an, an outsider's take on the Twilight saga. You know, yes. Slade was bought in he did his thing then he left yeah
1: and and it's basically like right okay so so basically all of these characters exist to do is to sit in a small space and create
0: tension. immense <laughs>
1: unresolved sexual tension yes. uh, which which will never let be the slash fic result. comments. oh and it did um so um so yeah there's that. So, yeah, so you, Jacob ends up in the sleeping bag with Bella trying to keep her warm and she falls asleep, which is just. Seriously? That's the situation you find yourself in and you fall asleep? My sympathy for this girl is rapidly disappearing out the window. Um,
0: but she properly snuggles. She's like, mmm, this is really good. Originally, in the, in the first uh, time they were attempting it while they were filming, um, the, Jacob sort of got in the sleeping bag and then retreated from her and sort of, like, wouldn't touch her or anything. And it really didn't work with the scene. So uh, Stephanie said, nah, they probably need to hug at this point, at least.
1: Yeah. In fact, doesn't he actually say she'd warm up faster if she took her clothes off?
0: Yes. <laughs> you know, I Go can think of about thought. four other things that would warm you up faster. Yeah. But uh,
1: the downside of this, uh, yeah. and and although, yes, I could watch that scene on a loop for the rest of my life quite happily, um, th- there is a downside to this, which is that it, it kind of emphasises this utterly constructed and totally false dichotomy between Edward and Jacob. Yeah. It, it doesn't exist. First of all, because as you've already said, in New Moon, it's made pretty damn clear there is no real choice because she's already given her heart to Edward and yeah. she does not have it to give to anyone else. He anymore, took that choice away and how... went, right,
0: I'm not going to be with you. So she didn't have that choice to make anymore. Exactly. Then she it's, took it back and reclaimed him. Controlled but it's always been by
1: hit. circumstance. Other people's decisions, not hers. So there's that side of things. What I, what I mean is she decides on Edward and then Edward leaves and then so she's kind of hanging out with Jacob through not having anybody else around and then Edward comes back
0: no no he doesn't come back she goes to get him
1: okay I need an earwig a what? an earwig it's like a a rotten potato that two people flip
0: seriously we could use it
1: Oh, well, no, you can't.
0: Yeah, well, we got y'all's toothbrushes, so it's like, uh, Viva La Toothy. Seriously, she's, she is proactive. She is not just waiting, she's not a flag until the third one. She's not just waiting around. I mean, uh, technically she's a flag where in the, uh, no, actually, because even then, James doesn't kidnap her. He lures her into a trap by saying that he's got her mother and so she makes the decision she, to go and get her yeah, mother. Yeah, she
1: does have that great line of um, dying in the place of someone I love seems like a pretty good way to go.
0: Yeah, that's a good way. to That's how it's, they start the first movie. And You're like, okay, right. For, for a start, you can't not empathize with a character who is selfless enough to believe that straight away.
1: Yeah. I mean, you, you know, after that,
0: she's then she's it sort of starts her in good footing.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's very true.
0: It and, makes and her do... not just a ridiculously self-absorbed and vacuous person.
1: Indeed, and I really do like. The Bella in these films a lot more than I liked the Bella in the books, and I think a lot of that is to do with the the narrative techniques. Because in the book, so much of it at the very tail end, I think, is is from Jacob's perspective, but so much of it is from Bella's perspective. That all you see is what she sees and how she interprets things, and it's the it's the things outside of that that I find more interesting. Um, but the The artificiality of the difference between Edward and Jacob is is kind of what I'm talking about at this point, that you've got Edward set up as this sort of very Victorian gentleman and you know because he's said so. And you kind of get a few examples where they try to kiss and he has to pull back and he can't
0: control himself. And, I want you so much, I'm about to drain Like,
1: you. her neck and all the rest of it. Um, but but he, he's you know he has all these incredibly animalistic urges. It's just that he keeps them all under this very refined control and, and sort of all under the surface. Jacob has all of these incredibly animalistic urges, but he wears them all on his sleeves. Or at least he would if he had any sleeves, which of course he doesn't because he <laughs> wears a shirt all the time. But... Uh, the point being there's there's not really she's not uh, it kind of makes this idea of blokes are all animals sort of you just have to decide which version of the animal you're more comfortable with I don't know it just it feels a bit wrong hmm only on an intellectual level, though. And again, this is where the whole, you know, emotional and other strings being pulled by people who clearly know what they're doing. It, you kind of go with it in, in the moment of the film. It, it feels it works. But then my brain kicks in and goes, but it shouldn't.
0: The werewolves and the Cullens have been training to fight these newborns who are, we are told, are going to be super strong, super badasses. And they're, you know, they're they're like 10 times stronger than regular vampires because they, you know, when you're first made into a vampire, you have this natural survival instinct which makes you super strong. Um so they they do all these practice runs, and then they're teaching the werewolves how to take down newborn vampires and it's It's quite uneasy in the way they're they're training, but at the same time, you get to see some pretty awesome vampire action. but then, when the newborns actually attack. And we've seen already that they're just basically street kids and, and just regular kids on the streets of Seattle uh, who've been suddenly turned and don't know what the hell's going on. And they've been told by Victoria that they've got to kill these people. And they come out of the water like the Pirates of the Caribbean. It's like, oh, my God, they're going to fuck it. And then the fight happens. It's like, wow, the Cullens and the werewolves just carve them to pieces. They fucking lay them out. They destroy them. And it's kind of like watching a really unbalanced game of StarCraft. (laughs) You know, like a complete amateur sort of charges in there and then gets destroyed by the experienced player. You're like, wow, all of that build-up and then nada. It just deflates like a flan in a cupboard. And Victoria herself has sort of been this, this, made out to be this incredibly deadly hunter. And she's not really very tactically astute and gets taken out way too easily and then the film ends you're like oh so like i said it's my favorite of the lot and it's probably the most superfluous weirdly enough yeah the the ending is basically they decide to tell charlie about their engagement that's the ending of eclipse they could have done that at the ending of well, basically, it's just like the conversation that immediately follows the last line of uh, New Moon, which is Bella, will you marry me? <gasps> oh, my God. All the girls in the audience squeal. <laughs> Sorry, ladies listening to this one. I'm not lumping you in with all the Twilight fans. But uh, that, that appears to be how it's um, positioned. But yeah, all of these newborn vampires are positioned as, as ill-coordinated children who get killed to bits. And, yeah, the Volturi show up and go, how come she's not a vampire? And then horribly kill one of the uh, last remaining newborns who was being protected by the Cullens. Not very well. And you're like, wow, this now confirms that the Volturi are assholes." something that was already confirmed by the second film. So, really, Eclipse doesn't really do anything. But what it it does not do, it does not do really well.
1: Yeah, it, it basically intensifies everything that's already been set up. Yeah. It was a little theatrical back then. Things got better after I found Emmett. But we'll always be this. Frozen. Never moving forward. That's what I miss the most possibilities
0: sitting on a front porch somewhere and that gray-haired by my side surrounded by our grandchildren their
1: laughter I understand that that's what you want there's nothing I'm ever gonna want more Edward You're wrong again After you've been changed There's one thing you'll want more One thing you'll
0: kill for Blood